0: Welcome to another ATP pod. I'm Seb Lozier and this week, even in the off-season, we're still trotting. We're with an Australian, a South African, a Brit and an Italian coaching a Finn. With the groups and match schedule announced this week for the ATP Cup on the 1st to the 9th of January in Sydney, where better to start than with an Aussie and one very likely to take his place in the home team. Mike Cation recently caught up with a double specialist who spent most of the year on the road.
1: Joined by Luke Savol and, and Sav, um, I hope you don't mind me calling you Sav, I should sure. probably call you Luke, no, I suppose. That's fine. All right. <laughs> um, it's been now, as we're recording this, about a year and a half since the Australian Open final. And I'm wondering if you're able to look back at the work you put in before that, having to go through the challenger level winning, I believe it was seven challenger titles with Max Purcell and earning that earning truly earning that wild card the the work you put in together and and now just what it means to you at this point
2: yeah it's um it's been a long journey um obviously i look back on that 2020 aussie open with amazing memories and yeah max and i we won yeah like you said seven challenges um in in that 2019 year and we were, we were doing very well. We were going deep a lot of weeks, but we couldn't quite make that next step, that, that big breakthrough to, to get through. And, um, you know, we were hovering around 100, 90, 80 um, and sort of really just plateaued there. And it's, it's tough. You know, we had to have that result to break through to where we are now, the 40s, 30s and so on. So we, were, we knew we were playing a great level, um, but it's just, it's very difficult at the challenger level, the way the point structure is set out. To make that breakthrough and get to that next level, which we were finding out, we were playing good level, but we just couldn't, I guess, execute at you know um, ATP two fifties and Grand Slams, and maybe to an extent, putting a little bit too much pressure on ourselves because we knew our opportunities were limited. But you know, when we made that breakthrough and, and play well, you know, we got through one or two rounds, and then from there, you know, the final was amazing. Um, and then yeah, like I said, um, eighteen months on, sitting in a career high. Um, but yeah, obviously the Aussie Open really um, made um, you know and breakthrough and very
1: fortunate that we did that. How do you keep that in perspective, you know, balancing the idea that there was so much hard work to get there, but also just the enjoyment of the event?
2: Uh, yeah, obviously it was, uh, you know, Australian Open full stop for Aussies is a huge deal and our biggest event throughout the whole year that we try and peak for, so, uh, you know, Max and I, we won a, a big challenge of the week before in Bendigo, and we beat some big teams to do that. So we knew we were playing well, and um, you know we got through the first round. Our, we had our biggest career win, second round over Roger Tacao. Uh, I think maybe the seventh seeds in that event. So obviously they've won Grand Slams, and we knew that was a big win. And that win for me was the big um, confidence booster we needed. Um, it was, you know, the by far our biggest win on rankings. Um, and then from there we had um, a big win in the third round out on i think it was australia day sort of show court three and big crowd rowdy crowd and that was a lot of fun as well um and then the last two quarters uh semis final Ron Rod laver arena so uh having a whole family there to answer your question it's a lot of fun a lot of pressure but um obviously we play tennis you know because we we love it but we i enjoy the pressure um and then um yeah, obviously, it's probably one of my you know
1: funnest weeks of my career so far. You obviously have all this momentum built up right after that. And then COVID pandemic obviously affected everyone worldwide. How did it affect you in terms of what you and, and Max had built? And then how did you try to get it back once we got into Cincinnati and, and the US Open last year? Yeah, it was obviously very strange to have a six
2: month break. And then when we started in Cincinnati, which is in New York, uh, We hadn't seen each other through that pandemic break. Uh, He was in Sydney, I was in Melbourne, but we were speaking a lot. So it took us a while to really start playing well. I don't think we played amazing at all, sort of, when we returned. Uh, We went and made a final, a 2.50 in Kazakhstan in Nur Sultan in that break, and um, maybe a a Rome quarterfinal of the Masters there. So we played okay, but not amazing. you know, singles was still a big priority for both of us at that time. It's a big priority for Max now. We've, um, we've split now, so he's um, going to prioritise singles a lot more. And I'm going to use, you know, I guess the present moment to focus my doubles and keep trying to build and see where I am at the end of the year. Um, I'm very happy with that decision. But uh, yeah, I mean, I felt like we both used that to improve our games. We didn't quite gel together. I guess since since that break is, is, you know, our best tennis probably was that Aussie Open, but you know, we were just kind of swinging for the fences with the underdogs. It probably, um, you know, there's a few more expectations that came with us, you know, after that result. So, um, but we're still great mates. We help each other, i help Max with his singles. He wants the best for me and my doubles
1: and things are good now expectations are always so complex right Um, you've obviously dealt with them you had a very successful junior career as well how long has it kind of taken you to just understand those expectations and just allow yourself to play freely um, as a guy who is ranked number one in the world in juniors
2: yeah I mean it's it's a tough one Um, expectations they're always going to be there if the results are going well Um, yeah like I said I had a good junior career and probably didn't cope best of my ability post my junior career that I could have. Um, There's a few factors there but yeah, you know, the fact is I I didn't quite get to where I wanted in singles but um, this doubles opportunities upon me now and I'm at a career high. I'm playing well and with that comes more expectations. Um, I got a bit of a taste of my first representative selection at the ATP Cup start of the year. I felt like I played well, so that's sort of the first box I can tick with with that and then um, and then obviously Olympics as well was was incredible. Play with Johnny Millman, one of my best mates on tour. Um, just an absolute warrior what he's done for Australian tennis and Davis Cup level for us and to share the court with him was awesome. We've played a few times and yeah, we didn't play our best, but yeah I'm just trying to do um, whatever I can right now to keep improving my game. Um, playing these Masters events and slams, there's, there's expectations, but um, you know, just I guess everyone here faces the same thing, so we're just trying to keep our heads down
1: and um, put our best foot forward. That national pride, uh, I've I've been inspired by it as an American, seeing so many of the Australian players who get a, a tattoo uh, if they play to Davis Cup or an Olympics. Do you have a tattoo yet? No, I haven't. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> you don't seem like a tattoo guy quite yet. Uh. No, no. Nah. But yeah, it was
2: a huge experience. I might, maybe when I get home and um, can, you know, let it. So digest a little bit. But um, yeah, there's there's a few that have got the tattoos. It's it's huge for Australians, everyone around the world, of course, you know, Olympics is the pinnacle. So that was an incredible
1: experience. And yeah, I might get, a, might get a tat one day. On top of that, I think it's been pretty well documented how difficult it has been in Australia with all of the quarantines that they have consistently gone into. Very safe during COVID obviously through 2020 and 2021. How difficult has it been to not be able to go home yeah, it's been very difficult,
2: uh, you know, end of last year we obviously did a four and a half month trip and then came home quarantined in late November, um, then played the Australian Open and then, yeah, I left early March this year and haven't been home and won't be home until my season's done and then Australian Open, or well, a bit of training and the Australian Open, so it's very difficult for Aussies right now, there's no, no way to sugarcoat it. Uh, basically, if, if you go home, it's very difficult to come back and play. Ducks, uh, one of my best mates on tour, he came over straight after the Aussie Open. He played to try and uh, get enough points to set up his year, which he did. And then he went home and quarantined in about April. Did a, a training block and then came back over a couple of weeks before the French. And then he'll stay through. So that's one of the one of the more rare cases that someone did that. Um, he'll quarantine twice in a year. But yeah, I, you know, there's a lot of um, talk around how difficult it is, and the, no doubt it's it is it is very tough for Aussies. Um, but it is what it is. Um, I guess my attitude with everything, you've just got to accept it and do um, whatever you can in your power. And it's just incredible to see a lot of the Aussies come together, stick together in times like this on tour because we're all in it together. Just being there for each other is, you know,
1: it makes you proud to be an Australian and just sticking together is um, it's nice. I'd be remiss as I let you go here. I, I haven't asked, and I don't see anything on your wrist here. Uh, your girlfriend, f- fiance, fiance Dasha Gavrilova, with her dashlets. Uh, <laughs> she's been she's been making bracelets <laughs> as she's been recovering from Achilles uh, injury. Is that yes, correct? Yes. Uh, yeah. You're you're not wearing anything of hers at this point, and it seems like maybe. mean just a little bracelet or something to show a little solidarity as she's been at home for several months?
2: Yeah I could Mike I could but as you know (laughs) it's not really my thing and uh, Dasha doesn't even hassle me for that because you know yeah it's not up not up my alley that sort of thing but uh, yeah she's she's a funny one she's got all these little hobbies that she does it's pretty much the opposite to me I'm pretty pretty simple entertained easily I like my golf and that's about it Uh, and she likes doing her little dashlets and paintings and puzzles and all that sort of thing but yeah it's been pretty tough for her the last actual few years to be honest yeah the achilles um area and foot has been really troublesome for her uh it's really derailed her the last yeah four or five years and she hasn't been able to get on top of it she had some surgery post the aussie open end of last year she was starting to train well build some momentum and played Pretty well during the summer, and that's when her body was was good. She was she was fit. She wasn't having any niggles, Achilles was in pretty good shape. And you know, took a set off Ash in the second round of the Aussie. But you know, I, I don't want to sound arrogant or you know, um, blow too much smoke towards her. But you know, her level is definitely good enough to get back to where she was, top 20. Um, I think a lot of people know that her tennis is great, but her body's been breaking down, and that's the fact. You need you need sort of both things to gel together, the, the game and the body, so I'm hoping she can get on top of it. The, the surgery maybe didn't go to plan as much as we would have liked um, after the Aussie, but you know, I think she's, by now, she's missed the US Open and sort of the end of the year. She's just going to obviously shut it down tournaments-wise, train and hopefully hit the Aussie Open running and then hopefully some health going into next season. but um yeah it's all a little bit up in the air right now to be honest
1: i just want to make sure i get down to australia soon so i can meet um social media star tofu sausage <laughs> your dog who has quite a presence on social media yes he
2: does yeah dash gets right around him has his instagram page he does his little famous wave but yeah it's funny <laughs> I, yeah, obviously i love him you, you get behind her a pet so much um and yeah obviously Dasha, him uh, my parents
0: family you you, you miss them but um we'll just make it you know nicer when i get home end of the year and it is congratulations to luke and his wife fellow player daria or Dasha gavrilova for tying the knot in melbourne last weekend you're listening to the atp tennis radio Podcast. podcast Last week, we heard from giant South African Kevin Anderson talking about his last three very frustrating years handling injury. But the 35 year old is definitely one of those glass half full kind of guys. And he's used much of that time to learn about climate change and the whole topic of sustainability in tennis.
3: Yeah, I think it's been a pretty interesting sort of last few years. I feel like just before the pandemic. we were making some really good progress um, in terms of some of the initiatives that ATP were taking, working with some of the tournaments. Um, I was, you know, really sort of excited about working with some of the tournaments and speaking to them and seeing how we can implement that. And then, you know, COVID hit and and then with my injuries as well, I feel like it was a little bit challenging not not not, not being here, the tournaments not uh, going on. And then when we did get back on, I mean, obviously there's been a lot of talk and a lot of focus just maintaining our tour and just getting tournaments back on the schedule so i think it's it's i'm still pleased with some of the progress but i feel like you know hopefully especially next year when things sort of settle down a little bit and tournaments know what's going on i think there's still more we can do as as a sport as i said i think it's great that we've you know initiated this process you know what are
4: some of the things that you're most proud of yeah i say? mean i
3: think uh, you know obviously i've you know we've spoken a lot about the you know the waste of plastics, especially. But looking at it just with tennis as itself, there's 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 a lot of waste that goes on in sort of hosting tournaments. So really going to come at it from uh, from all sides. But I think the biggest point is, yeah, as you mentioned, the plastic bags for the rackets. I mean, that in itself is is great. And yes, at the end of the tournament, saving you know thousands of bags is a big step forward. But the bigger thing is the, the talking point, and I think the raising awareness, you know, across this. Uh, you know, across uh, fans, uh, tennis players, everybody involved, I think that will be the biggest impact we can have. And uh, just the fact that it's been more of a talking point is something that I think is uh, is really important.
4: Yeah, because I know there's quite, uh, other players involved. I know Dominic Team also yeah. is, you know, pretty everyone's aware of it, Um, are there certain goals that you would say that you have in the next, you know, you said you wanna play a few more years at least, the goals that you have in those next few years that you would like to see?
3: Yeah, so, you know, I'm pretty excited. ATP's been working, you know, behind the scenes in in, in launching more of a uh, a charitable arm facing, uh, sort of addressing sustainability, sort of uh, equal opportunities, um, you know, the culture within our sport. uh, And I think it's gonna be great. I think it's something, um, I'm really excited about uh, it's still a work in progress but you know I've, I've seen some of the initial um, ideas and and the way it's going to come in
4: can you say like what some of the ideas are or is well it yeah I mean it's, it's
3: basically yeah it's uh, it's it's in the works and it's focusing on the, I think there's maybe three or four pillars uh, you know the culture of um, equal opportunity and you know obviously that's been right. uh, that's been a big one we're focusing on, you know, players' um, health, especially mental health, which I think is a huge topic that we haven't really addressed, you know, near, nearly enough. And then there's the other arms as well, the sustainable uh, the sustainability, uh, especially. So um, there's a few arms that we're addressing, and I think it's going to be, a, you know, a, a great platform. I mean, ATP is such a international sport, so having that, uh, you know, outreach is going to be key, not just for the players within the sport and everybody involved, volunteers, you know, officials, uh, the whole works, but you know, ultimately making a difference worldwide. And I think um, I'm really excited about that. So hopefully, you know, next year, we'll, we'll really be able to focus on, on, on that and, uh, you know, make a, uh, make a big difference. I
4: know, that's that's awesome. I mean, it's great. I can see that you're excited, just excited talking about it. But I know you're part of the ATP Council for a while, yep. as well. Are you st- st-
3: I am,
5: yeah.
4: You still are, yeah. Just, I guess, what you've learned from that because I was part, I was on the council as well for a little bit and I learned so much. Just talk about like what you've learned from that aspect, and and your thoughts on maybe the because there's been a lot of thoughts of the tours merging and stuff like that. What you think about that?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's been a really interesting. I think I've been on the I mean council almost two
4: thousand twelve. Yeah, yeah, so it's
3: been like nine years. It's a <laughs> one, uh, one of the longest. I mean, it's been interesting. There's been so many different topics. I mean, yeah, it's. I mean, you know, we could speak about this uh, for hours, but uh, you know, we've always. I think there's that balance between you know players and tournaments, and we have that you know interesting structure. Um, and there's been it's been challenging at times. I mean, I know there's been a lot of um, criticism from players, you know, if this can work. But you know, I think there's certain you know positives from it as well. Um, having said that, it's still. Um, I think you know the overriding thing has just been how can we make this sport as supportive as possible for as many players, yeah. and I think that's been you know the primary focus. But I mean.
4: What do you feel it's, like the positives would be?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest positive, I mean, if you look at just prize money over the last mm-hmm. sort of, you know, decade in terms of the growth, it's, it's I mean, it's been a lot. It's, as I, as I keep saying, it's not where we want it, but I mean, if you looked at the pension, um, the Grand Slam prize money, master series, I mean, throughout the sport, I mean, you can see there's been, you know, massive increases. And part of that was because it was very sort of pressed down for a number of years, which, you know, wasn't right. And I think tournaments could, you know, could, uh, could see that. Uh, I think I'm very excited about you know the new management that's come in and and, and their vision moving forwards. Um, I think it's going to really change the sport a lot. Uh, I think it's going to you know there's a lot of facets from that, which I think you know hopefully we can get across the line. I mean there's one thing just uh, having an idea, obviously implementing it. It's, it's I mean it's been challenging. Um, you know it's uh, we're still not there yet, but uh, it's um, you know certainly something that's um, you know in the works. And I think you know overall in terms of you know the merging of the tours i i feel like it's been more of a i don't know a talking point that i've seen you know online you know in social media and places like that um you know in terms of like actually in the boardroom i feel like at least you know from my side you know you can see the the value of everybody coming together i mean when we have unity that's when we're going to be the strongest product and i think you know tennis is in that unique position where you know a lot of tournaments, um, you know, for you know especially for women and having a daughter growing up I mean I can see the uh, you know how just how big tennis is and especially with you know equal prize money at our slams I mean these are very you know important things obviously the management is very different between the two tours so I don't know what it would look like but uh, I mean I think hopefully we can all see like especially with our conversations moving forward and moving the sport forward um, I definitely think you know being on the same page and working together yeah, is definitely going to yield the best results.
4: I, have you mentioned? I mean, you've talked about so many important topics. I mean, brought up equality, mental health as well. As far as like, because you've had such a long career so far and still going, so a lot has changed. Social media, obviously. I, I don't know if it was it wasn't a big deal when you first started, and all. now it's like a huge deal. Yeah. Like, do you feel like that's had a huge impact, or how has that had an impact? on the tour, how it's changed, in your opinion? Yeah,
3: I mean, I think that's just the way forward. If you look, I mean, it's, you know, so many things are going digital, whether it's, um, I mean, not just in tennis, I mean, across the sports, I mean, that's just, you know, especially the younger generation, it's 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 just part of the world right now. I mean, I don't think there's, maybe not all necessary positive, but uh, you know, that's certainly just, uh, you know, the way things are right now. So I think it's really important that the tour embraces that and, um, You know, not just with social media, but just with everything going digital and the way people interact with fans. I mean, I think that's really important. I mean, we need to keep the sport as relevant Mm -hmm. as possible, especially in the years to come. On the flip side, obviously, there's, you know, it's sometimes tough. There's a lot of, um, you know, stuff that goes on in social media, as you've seen, like, especially with betting, when players lose, you know, they're on the receiving end of a lot of um, unfortunate messaging. you know, personally, I feel like I've been, I've done a pretty okay job. I mean,
4: I was just going to ask I, how you've managed Yeah, that I don't yet. really
3: get involved with that, you know, a whole lot at all. Um, I, I, I don't look at, you know, what people are responding. And it's unfortunate because, I mean, you know, I, I feel like the people who, I obviously appreciate the support and I feel that support more from like, maybe messages that I get or like, you know, crowd support and, um, but, you know, going through messages, it's kind of opening, you know, the door. So, um, obviously, I'm very appreciative of anybody who sends me nice messages and, um, you know, I, I'll always appreciate their support. Um, but I mean, I think it just comes part of it. I mean, the more you are in the public eye, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily as active on social media as some of the other players. I mean, it's just something that I've, um, maybe just being older, not, not as embraced as some, some of the others, but... Yeah, I mean, it's a tricky sort of balance because the more you connect, the more you're opening yourself up at at the same time.
4: I guess for someone in the spotlight and and professional athlete that has a young daughter, like, how would you go about managing this younger generation, I think? Because it's, I mean, it's a lot to do Yeah, I
3: mean, you know, in terms of that, I've seen, you know, the social media makes me a little bit worried, especially for, you know, younger, you know, younger kids. I mean, I think we'll probably be on a bit of a stricter, no sort of social media, you know, at least until you sort of understand what's going on. And I mean, if you look at just, circling back to you know mental health and the stuff that I've read it's you know it's pretty scary to see some of the, spats, uh, the stats especially for you know teenagers and the way that social media is you know portrayed that you know obviously they sort of see that people have such perfect lives and that's not the case you know you can't encapsulate what somebody's going through necessarily just from a photo and unfortunately it's you know that's just the reality and the people working for the social media companies I mean you know they businesses and so it's a you know it's a tricky one but um, I, I think we do need to be very careful in protecting especially you know younger players and anybody who seems to be you know uh, having trouble with it and then trying to uh, embrace it because I mean just in terms of sharing information I mean it it's it's I mean just from me growing up I remember I mean your interaction with the tour was watching it on TV and you know tennis cha- uh, tennis magazine that would come out in like the ATP weekly show and now you've got like you know you have access to Seeing all your players, like what they're doing, what they're having for dinner, how they're practicing, what they're thinking. I mean, that's some amazing, you know, amazing things, but it's a it's definitely a double-edged sword.
0: Always a pleasure to hear from Kevin Anderson, one of the real gents on tour. Coming up next, Jill Krabus brings us another exclusive, this time with the coach of one of the most promising young players on tour. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, and ATPTour.com.
4: Well I've been lucky enough to be introduced to Federico Ricci, coach of Emile Rusoviori. Did I say everyone's name correctly?
5: Mine, yes. His is Rusovori.
4: Rusovori, thank oh, that you. Was
5: pretty good though. That's
4: not bad. Okay. Anyway, welcome. Thank you for thank joining you. us. Yes. Thank you. So I'm, I am going to briefly speak to Emil a little bit later, but I'm glad I was able to catch you because you were telling me a little bit about your background and how you met Emil and how that started. Can you just review that for us? Yeah,
5: um, I was, I'm was. i Italian and I was working for Everett Academy in Florida. Then I moved to Finland when I started working with Jarko and then we opened a, an academy together. And Emil joined the academy when he was 13 and basically since then I've been... At first, only supervising and then slowly getting more into one-on-one work with him. And then uh, we closed the academy eventually four years ago, three and a half years ago. And uh, I just went full-time with him since then.
4: It's quite a big change moving to Finland. How long Uh, have you been there now?
5: Now it's been 10 years. Now it's been 10 years? uh, Yeah, 2001,
4: yeah. Okay, how's your finish
5: uh, terrible.
4: <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and just, not an easy language. Not an easy language. No. Um, and just talking about Emil a little bit, you've been working with him from such a young age. Mm-hmm. I've seen him develop throughout the years. And he's had such a great year. just broke into the top 100 last year. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you feel like has been a, a significant for him in his rise and his development?
5: I think, well, first of all, for sure, finding the confidence and the belief that he can compete with the, with the better guys, and uh, a lot of it is the experience for him. He's had uh, several injuries when he was a junior, and uh, maybe coming from Finland, not as much exposure, like he wasn't one of those that at 13 or 14 was number 1 in Europe or number 1 in the or number 3 in Europe that already gets to be exposed to some of the better players. He had a great last junior year, but in the very last 6 months of the junior year and so his experiences were limited and on top of that when he was 15 16 and 17 he lost six months each year for an injury so if we start piling that all up together plus the six months of the pandemic last year i would say since he was 16 until now that is 22 overall he's almost lost two years of his development or experiences overall and uh and that of course counts a lot
4: so as a coach, how do you how are you able to manage those injuries? Because obviously that's part of the sport, but to yeah. be able to have him develop and, and get through those injuries. It,
5: it's tough. I mean, you got to get the best out of what you can or cannot do. I mean, of course, you can work uh, standing a little bit more technically. You can show him a little bit of tennis. Uh, uh, but it's tough, and especially it was tough for him, the first two of them, because he was still young. Uh, coming from Finland you know you don't have a lot of examples of wanting to be professional athlete to start with so you know he was like okay I'm injured okay I'm done maybe I'll start studying or like the, the belief of becoming a professional tennis player wasn't as deep into him yet by the third one he had gotten some tastier results and maybe he was a little bit more uh, focused and trying to get out of it and having a better year and then of course uh, it was good because then the begin from the middle of his last junior year, then he he was quite successful. So then, of course, that changes the overall outlook. Then the belief of becoming a tennis player starts to be a little bit more established in your mind.
4: So you said um, you know he didn't have that many. People obviously from Finland to, to sort of model after, mm-hmm. but Jarko Nieminen was there. Any like, experience that he was able to give to Emil at the time?
5: Um, well, one, at the second time he had this lower back stress fracture and was out for six months, and uh, uh, Jarko was in the second last year of his career. And uh, I asked Jarko, I said, uh, "Listen, let's take him to a, a tournament. You know, he's here winter in winter in Finland is quite depressing." Um, I said, "Let's take him to a tournament." So Yarko uh, took him with him, just as a tourist, but just to see a little bit of the outlook to Rotterdam, the 500. And uh, he just looked around. You start seeing and start seeing guys like Roger and Rafa that are there practicing. And uh, well, Rafa wasn't there. I think Roger was there. And I actually believe Jarko played. Roger that year in the second round. Mm-hmm. So of course that was a good experience, and then just keeping him focused and motivated towards it.
4: So what do, what do what do you guys feel like you learned from from that experience? I would say, I guess, seeing like Yarko with Roger, and
5: well, especially that. I, I think tennis isn't. It's not that far the way you strike a forehand or a backhand. You know, once you once you see it, and you're like, okay, then I'm really not that bad when it comes to that so maybe let's see what else i need to really improve to be able to get there
4: and what was that
5: well in his case a lot of it was uh well his body that's for sure yeah Uh, considering he was injured his consistency mentality i mean he, he he when he was 14 15 he struggled with motivation with discipline um he's a bit of an artist and uh you know doing things day in day out wasn't exactly his uh uh, best skill um, and uh, but it grew into him later and I think the, 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 it, it now is actually maybe one of his strengths but at the beginning certainly wasn't but the good news was that he was very honest he, I, remember, I remember him losing a national Finnish national match and that he was not supposed to lose at all he was coming from a good win in a junior tournament and uh, I called him up and I said what happened? And he was very honest. He said, well, he just wanted more than me. Wow. <laughs> I, at least, <laughs> didn't look for, for, uh, uh, for excuses.
4: And, and so since that moment, uh, how has he approached mentally? Has that changed for him, that outlook? It,
5: it, it took years of work. And, I mean, it slowly he grew into him and he understood how important it is to have the discipline and the day-in-day-out uh, work ethic and... Uh, and that has also helped tremendously stay injury free because once he started taking more care of the daily routines then of course it changes things and taking care of daily routines whether you feel like doing it or not feel like doing it because he was the type of guy that was doing a good job when he was feeling like it but you know most days you probably don't feel like it and you still have to do it
4: and I know when we were when I was just introduced to you, I also got introduced to the physio that's the physio, traveling yeah. with you. Yeah. How has that made an impact as well to keep him healthy and
5: his body? Yes, I mean the, this particular physio mm-hmm. only started a few months ago with us, um, and uh, we have two that switch off just so it's not too heavy for them the traveling. And uh, but of of course, you know, once he started going up in level and financially, he's able now to afford a little bit of a wider team and then of course it helps it helps especially you know in Miami he won two three matches this year at the Master tough one and it was great that we were able to have our own physio there it makes makes a difference it helps you get through those
4: and as far as just um managing the body in general because you've been on the tour for a long time i feel like as the tour progresses it's gotten a lot more physical so it's more demanding on the body how are you able to sustain his health now that he's healthy
5: yeah and i mean it's become much much more physical and also the conditions especially in the last few years have become tremendously slower i mean the, the conditions here just here for example the balls are the incredibly slow <laughs> it's almost impossible to hit a winner and uh, of course the the matches become and the points become longer and much more physical I think planning is is uh, is very important it's very important to plan correctly and sometimes you know not chase the result and understanding when you have to take a week off to maybe work a little bit uh, a week off maybe to recover and those things are quite important and this this year we've seen quite a few players at least on the ATP that have handed their season already in September and uh, I think it's something that this year was very difficult to do planning in general it's not that they're not good at it it's just that this year specifically was very difficult to plan correctly because it felt like others oh, new tournament popping up okay maybe I'll play oh, okay there's a new oh, okay this change okay this change and you know it's much more difficult to have maybe a a more consistent plan of when you can play, cannot play and when you should take a time off and recover. And when, uh, uh, so the, the scheduling and the planning is definitely important. Of course, some years is easier than others. And for sure the last two years hasn't been traditional.
4: Yeah. And, and just with how talking about the pandemic a little bit with how the calendar year was so disrupted, um, obviously the pandemic unfortunate and in, in so many aspects and mm-hmm. for the world, um, Did you feel that that gave you an idea of balancing the schedule a little bit better with not having so many events, maybe?
5: Um, Yes, but in the sense that they were also very spread out. So, you know, you maybe have less events, but then when you have to go, like let's take this one for example, we have to come all the way across the world to play one event only. And so... Then um, it's not only about the volume of tennis you play, but also the amount of traveling and the amount of uh, Days that you can actually have in between so yes, maybe there are fewer events But then on the other hand in Australia, we basically were there for a month and a half and we played two tournaments Mm -hmm. so (laughs) We were still there for a month and a half at the end of the season It is taking a toll and in fact we've seen so many players having to end their season so
4: and I'm, I'm also just curious about your off-season, because you were saying how brutal the winters are mm-hmm. in Finland. Do you do most of the off-season in Finland? Do you go somewhere warm?
5: We've uh, Emil won a challenger at uh, Rafa Nadal's Academy two years ago, and since then they've actually been very nice to host us for a couple of weeks every off-season.
4: Yeah, I know he's trained with Nadal as well. How was how yeah, that experience yeah. for him? I mean, can you give us some insight about maybe what you learned, what he learned?
5: I mean fantastic because especially I think the f- very first time I think it was very very important the second one also but the very first time is just to see how every single ball he hits has a purpose and there is quality behind it there is there is some qualities behind it that it can be the depth it can be the speed the spin but the quality of adjustment and how carefully he is to prepare for each single ball and I think that that's really one of the moment of development because I think Emil can play one given shot of outstanding quality with almost anybody but the problem is how many can you do in a row with that same quality with that same uh, precision in the way you prepare for it
4: and as such an experienced coach, I, I, I'm assuming you knew the purpose behind every ball, but was there anything that, that was surprising to you that stuck out to you in those in those training weeks?
5: Uh, one thing that was, yeah, one thing that was, uh, which I really, really appreciated when they started playing points, uh, especially with, with somebody like Rafa, is that if he has a chance to kick his butt, you know, in every <laughs> single point, he has no interest in being nice, which I think is a very great sign of respect for the player you have on the other side. And uh, I think it's very, very important. And I think young players like Emil. I mean, that's the way they need to. They need to feel there's no discounts. There's no discounts for anybody, and there shouldn't be. I mean, yeah, okay, he's older, you're younger, but tomorrow you could be opponents. So, and I think that that's uh, that's something that it, it's great. It's a great sign for Emil, but it's a great sign from Rafa of of the respect that you have towards the other players.
4: Well, that's very cool. That's incredible insight. Thank you so much. I've heard nothing but great things about you, nothing but great things about Emil, so we wish you all the best. Best of luck.
5: Thank you very much.
0: Emil Roussevoury, definitely one to watch. On iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and atptour.com this is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Finally this week another player ATP cutbound in January this time being put through his paces by ATP uncovered like his brother he is famously competitive but how good is Jamie Murray's memory little career quiz for you
3: on
6: my career not on my career okay. <laughs> this, I mean it's, it will be very tough for you on your career okay how do you think you're going to do how well do you know your career
7: I don't think that
6: well you, know, you sound very confident. I'm not
7: confident, yeah.
6: OK, well, uh, let's see how we go. Name the tournament year and partner of your first ATP title.
7: OK, I can tell you that. That was in San Jose, 2007, with Eric Budarek. Buty.
6: Who were the first number
7: one players that you beat? First number one players that we beat? I mean, I have to guess the Bryans, because they were number one for about 10 years. <laughs> My first 10 years of playing on the tour. Do you know tournament and year? I think I beat them the very first time in Delray Beach with Max Murney.
6: you know the year? 2008. Nailed it. Yeah, here go. So far, so good. Yeah. You've won 25 ATP titles. Do you know which country you've won the most titles in? States, I think. Do you know how many you've won in the States? Six. Seven. Seven. I've missed something, obviously. Okay, this is a tough one. Do you know the date that you reached number one in the FedEx ATP doubles rankings? It was in
7: April. Because it was after the Miami tournament, uh,
6: April 6th? April 4th. Right, okay. Do you remember how many weeks you were at the top there? I think six weeks. Nine weeks? Nine, okay. You, better <laughs>
7: like, so, yeah, even better.
6: Yeah. You won your first major in mixed doubles with Yelena Yankovic? Yeah. Do you know the tournament, year, and opponents in the final? Yeah. <laughs> when we're in? 2007. We
7: beat in the final, we beat Jonas Bjorkman and Alicia Moloch.
6: Do you know uh, how many Grand Slam finals, mixed and men's doubles, have you reached in your career? 11? Twelve. 12. Okay. There's a lot. You, you've reached so many Grand Slam finals that you can't quite count it as impressive. Uh, oh, so she's been playing a long time. So. It starts <laughs> oh, adding up yeah. a little bit. How many ATP titles did you win with Andy and where? I think we won two in Tokyo and Valencia.
7: You know the years? 2010 in Valencia. Tokyo,
6: 2011? Yeah? What's it like playing with the bro? Do you guys get along on court? <laughs> What's the I mean, sibling dynamic there?
7: Uh, it's good, yeah, I enjoy it. I don't know if it's the same feeling for him. <laughs> but, you know, we've had some amazing moments on the court together. Like you said, like winning those two titles. Valencia was the week after I got married
6: name the tournament year and opponents of your Masters 1000 title.
7: In Cincinnati, we beat the Colombians Farrancabal, 2018. That was cool. I mean, we'd lost in a few finals before then. I was really pumped about that. I mean, the Masters tournaments like always super hard to win because, you know, you got the best of everyone playing the best doubles players, best singles players. Yeah, I remember being like really really excited to win that. Thanks, man. No, that's all right.
0: And we'll have much more, an exclusive chat with Jamie Murray, no less, in next week's pod. Our thanks to him, also to Kevin Anderson, Federico Ricci and to Luke Saville. I'm Seb Lozier. Thanks for listening. We'll have much more next week.